0: To Genesis 22. While you're doing that, uh, we did uh, receive a new copy of Calvary Chapel Magazine. And uh, I just got this and just opened the box, but uh, did notice that there's some incredible articles in here. Um, There are articles on how uh, churches are trying to find creative ways to minister in uh, the COVID 19 crisis, and of course, Many churches around the country, as I've mentioned before, still aren't meeting, still aren't allowed to meet. Uh, small groups aren't allowed to meet in certain places. Um, so, you know, uh, they've tried to, to find creative ways in the midst of this to reach out to and to minister to their congregations. Some articles in here about that. Um, it's interesting, as some of the, the churches have returned to fellowship. Uh, and as you, no doubt, have seen here since we've been able to return since March 31st, uh, not everybody's back. And, uh, you know, there's this, this debate going on in society as well as in the church of will we ever go back to normal, uh, meaning pre-COVID. And I think from everything I'm reading and seeing, at least for the foreseeable future, I don't think anyone foresees normal uh, being uh, for at least two years. So... Um, We're going to have to deal with a lot of the changes that are here, and uh, the way people look at infectious diseases, you know, this has changed the way the world operates. Um, There's also uh, an article in here, and you can't see the cover here, but uh, there's some people together praying, and of course, we've gone through severe racial tension as we continue to go through in this country. There's some articles in here about that. Uh, Emily will appreciate there's uh, nurses on the front lines of how some nurses have been ministering to COVID-19 patients and what they've seen God doing through their, their occupation and their ministry as nurses. And then there's an article on understanding the times as six different pastors weigh in on the issues and challenges of the church today. And what, uh, if anything, does this mean as it dovetails into the end times prophecies. So a good edition, good articles. They're out on the fellowship bar. So feel free to grab one. We, we buy those uh, for you. They're, they're free, so grab one, read it. Um, also, there is an update from missionaries around the world uh, toward the back. And then also on the very back cover is actually the gospel. So maybe you want to grab a few if you have a place of business. Uh, lay them out on your uh, table or whatever, and even maybe flip a couple over With the gospel, they're showing so that people would have an opportunity to read. With that in mind, turn to Genesis chapter 22, and we are going to be looking at uh, as Abraham came to the place where he had to offer up Isaac, his son. So we are going to read beginning in verse 1, excuse me, down to verse 19. Now it came to pass after these things that God. Tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the, pl- the name of the place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time, excuse me, out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. In blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies." In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Lord, thank you for the reading of your word. And as always, we ask that you would just grant blessing upon blessing to the reading and the understanding of your word as we consider it together. May it be to us, Lord as you have spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. A great story, and if you've been reading the Bible for any length of time, hopefully you've come across this story and read it. But a few things, a few sort of variables for you as we consider what's happening here today in this story. First of all, this place called Mount Moriah is spoken of in the scriptures here. And we know that Mount Moriah, as we trace it through history, we'll, we'll look at this as we go through the, the passage. Mount Moriah is Mount Calvary. It is Golgotha. It's one and the same. And it's the place <clears throat> where God offered his son, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, about 1,500 years later, after this point in time. One of the things to note as we read this story here in Genesis chapter 22, that this story is really told to us from the perspective of the Father. You may be familiar with Psalm 22 and Psalm 69. Those are what we call messianic Psalms, and they speak of the crucifixion of Christ. Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 are from the Son's perspective of what he was undergoing, <clears throat> what he was going through, excuse me. Isaiah 53 as we read during the time of our last Communion. Isaiah 53 is the crucifixion from the perspective of the believer as we observe what God has done to His Son. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all give accounts of the crucifixion. But for us, Genesis 22 is the only place where the Father's heart is revealed and how He offers up His Son. In the New Testament of 1 John chapter 4, Our Lord wrote these words for us, and this is the love of God. The love of God was manifested toward us, excuse me, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, this chapter is a chapter about love. And it's about the love of the Father for the Son and through the Son for the people to whom he would be sacrificed. One other thing we wanna mention, or a couple of more things actually. We know that Isaac was born to Abraham when Abraham was about 100 years old. God had given the promise to him when he was about 75, so they waited about 25 years for the promise of God to be realized. And now uh, we understand Abraham to be somewhere between 125 and 130, which means that Isaac was about 25 to 30 years old. As we come to this point in time, as we come to this very unique place in scripture. So that gives us a a perspective and understanding. You see, Isaac was not just a little boy. He was a grown man as we go through the understanding of this passage this morning. And then finally, something that we will notice is this thing called types and foreshadowing in the scriptures. That this story is a type and a foreshadowing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And hopefully that will be abundantly clear to you as we go through it. So let's jump in this morning to Genesis chapter 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Did you notice here that God tested Abraham? You see, God does test us, doesn't he? God not only allows things to come into our lives that test us, but God himself will test us. You see, we are never too old to face new challenges, to fight new battles, to learn new truths. When we stop learning, we stop growing. And when we stop growing, we stop living. In the school of faith, we must have occasional tests or we will, we will never know where we are spiritually. Abraham had his share of tests right from the beginning. First was the family test when he had to leave his loved ones and step out by faith to go to a new land. This was followed by the famine test where Abraham failed because he doubted God and went down to Egypt for help. Once back in the land, Abraham passed the fellowship test when he gave Lot first choice in using the pasture land. He also passed the fight test when he defeated the kings in chapter 14, and the fortune test when he said no to Sodom's wealth but he failed the fatherhood test when Sarah got impatient with God and suggested that Abraham have a child by Hagar. When the time came to send Ishmael away, Abraham passed the farewell test, even though it broke his heart. You see, those were just some of the tests that Abraham faced. What about you? What about me? When God spoke to him and he called his name and Abraham replied and said, here I am. That meant that Abraham was ready to be taught, ready to be tested, ready to obey, ready to surrender, ready to be examined by God. And you see, when God calls your name, when he calls my name, and hopefully you have heard him speak to you, whether it be audibly or in your heart very clearly, God wants to get our attention. He wants us to turn our attention to him. And so he said in verse 2 to Abraham, Take now your son, your only son Isaac. And notice that God does not recognize the work of the flesh. He does not recognize Ishmael. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. God doesn't recognize the work of our flesh. He only recognizes the work of the Spirit. He only recognizes those things that we do in obedience with the right heart to him. This is the first mention of love in the Bible here in Genesis 22 too. And it won't be the last, of course, for the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. And so we gravitate toward the love of God. We look at the love of God. And you know, one of the things we have to learn to do, which Abraham had to learn to do, is to learn to distinguish between trials and temptations. Temptations come from our desires within us, according to the book of James, while trials come from the Lord, who has a special purpose to fulfill in our lives. Temptations are used by the devil to bring out the worst in us, but trials are used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us temptations seem logical, while trials seem unreasonable. All believers face similar temptations to sin, but not all believers experience the same trials of faith. You see, God's trials are tailor-made for each one of us to test our faith, to test our resolve, to help us understand where we are in terms of our maturity and our walk before God. And God told Abraham to take his son, his only son, and to offer him there as a burnt offering. Now as God spoke this to him, remember Abraham came came out of the, the land of Ur of the Chaldees and he spent much time among the Canaanite peoples. And the Canaanite peoples were among the most idolatrous people. And they are the ones early on who had the the practices of human sacrifice. So as God spoke these words here to him, to offer your son as a burnt offering, surely this must have sort of tweaked Abraham's heart to hear his God saying to him, take your son and offer him as a burnt offering because he knew that a burnt offering meant that his son must die He also knew that a burnt offering meant that there had to be blood involved. Let me ask you a question this morning. How would you react to such a thing? If God spoke to you about the thing in your life that was the most precious, whatever that thing is, and he said, I want you to let go. I want you to give it up. I want you to offer that thing to me as an act of worship. What would you do? Would you listen? Would you consider? Would you heed and obey as Abraham did? You see, the test of faith is not to produce faith, but to reveal faith. You see, it's to check and to see, do we really have faith? And if we have faith, is our faith truly in God or is our faith just in the blessings of God? You see, this seemed to contradict God's promise to Abraham because you remember back in the previous chapter as we covered last week, Genesis 21, 12, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. God said, through your son, your seed shall be called, your lineage shall happen. And of course, as he spoke of the seed, he's speaking of the seed of the Messiah. Through Isaac, your seed, the Messiah would eventually come from him. Now God is telling him This strange and this contradictory thing that your son should be offered up as a burnt sacrifice. It seems strange and contradictory to kill the son who was promised to carry on the covenant when it had not yet been fulfilled. It seemed as if God commanded Abraham to kill the very promise that God made to him. Abraham had to learn the difference between trusting the promise and trusting the promiser. We can put God's promise before God himself and feel it is our responsibility to bring the promise to pass. Even if we have to disobey God to do it, trust the promiser no matter what and the promise will be taken care of. Spurgeon said this about this passage of scripture, Brethren, there are times with us when we are called to a course of action which looks as though it would jeopardize our highest hopes. It is neither your business nor mine to fulfill God's promise, nor to do the least wrong to produce the greatest good. To do evil that good may come is false morality and wicked policy. For us is duty, for God is the fulfillment of his own promise and the preservation of our usefulness. In other words God will fulfill his promise when God makes a promise he will bring it to pass we do not have to bring to pass the promises of God and then at the end of verse 2 he says and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you so as God has Started out in abraham's life. Remember he said get out from your family get out from your place and go to a place that I will show you And so it is all these years later Now some 50 years later after God first spoke to Abraham. He's still speaking to him in the same manner saying You just go and I'll show you where to go as you go You see we need to be reminded that God is only going to reveal to us what we need to know when we need to know it. We want the plan. We want to see the timeline. We want to know when and where and how. But God will tell us those things when he thinks we need to know them. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. What you have to love about Abraham is that God spoke to him, and it appears as we read this passage that the very next day he was up at the crack of dawn obeying the Lord, doing exactly what God had told him to do. And notice Abraham's faith as he rose in the morning, as he saddled his donkey, and as he took two of his young men, two of his servants with him, and Isaac, his son. And I imagine that what Abraham did was this, that as God spoke to him that previous day, he probably revealed the plan to no one, including his wife, because he knew that he had to obey the Lord, that this was something personal that God had spoken to his heart that he had to do. So as he got up that morning, he began to tell the people, you two, pack up and come with me. Grab the donkey. Isaac, get ready. We're going to go. And as he went out, it says he split the wood for the burnt offering. You see, Abraham, as we have read before, had quite the estate. He had quite the number of servants. We've noted that he probably had well over a 1,000 people in his entourage. Abraham could have gotten up and given orders and said, you cut a couple of cords of wood and load them on those animals. I'm going to need them because I'm going to a place far away to worship the Lord. But you see, Abraham himself got up. Abraham, 125 years old, got up and cut and split a few cords of wood and loaded them on the animals and said, let's go. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. You see, if we're going to obey the Lord, if we're going to do what he says, there's always details behind the obedience. There's things we must do to get ready to obey the Lord. Abraham did all of those things. Abraham's obedience showed that he trusted God even when he he did not understand what was happening. Sometimes we say, I'm not going to obey or believe until I understand it all. But you see, that is to put myself on an equal standing with God. Abraham's obedience showed that he didn't debate or seek counsel from others. He knew what to do, and he refused to use stalling tactics. In other words, he listened to God and he obeyed. Abraham's um, obedience showed that he trusted God even when he did not feel like it. There is not a line in this text about how Abraham felt, not because he didn't feel, but because he walked by faith, not by feelings. But there is not a word of argument, not one solitary question that even looks to hesitation. God is God, he seems to say. and It is not for me to ask him why or to seek a reason for his bidding. He has said it, And I will do it. You see, God trained Abraham over many decades, bringing him to this place of great trust. In just the last chapter, God asked Abraham to give up Ishmael in a less severe way. God used that lesson and everything else to train up Abraham and to build a great faith within him. Verse 4 Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, as they came to this place called Mount Moriah, we actually find written down for us in Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, the following. Now, Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. You see, Mount Moriah was a ridge that ran from where the temple was built north up to where Golgotha was. Golgotha was the high point. And so Solomon tells us about that. So as they came to this place, which presumably Abraham had never been, remember God said to him in the beginning in verse one, I want you to go to this place that I will show you to Mount Moriah. So Abraham had to go in this direction from where he was toward Mount Moriah. And when he got there, because of the way Mount Moriah was situated, God had to show him where on Mount Moriah that he wanted him to go. So Abraham said to his young men in verse 5, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. This is the first place in the scriptures that the word worship is mentioned. And this word worship literally means to bow down or even to lay prostrate on the ground. So Abraham said to these young men, You stay here, watch the stuff. We're going to take some wood and go and worship. And he says, and we will come back to you. You see, Abraham believed God. God said, take your son and offer him as a burnt offering. But here, Abraham is saying, as they've traveled now for three days, we're going to worship and we are going to come back. You see, this is a statement of faith that what God said would come true. You see, in Romans chapter 4, we're given some insight. Chapter 4, verse 16, "'Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, "'so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, "'not only to those who are of the law, "'but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, "'who is the father of us all. "'For as it is written, "'I have made you a father of many nations.'" in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in the faith, Abraham did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. You see, what is going on here with Abraham and Isaac is a foreshadowing of what God would do through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that passage in Romans chapter four takes Abraham's example of faith and relates to us that this applies directly to, to what God is doing in our lives with our salvation. You see, our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, to do what seems unreasonable, and to expect what seems impossible. Listen, we live by promises, not by explanations. Faith does not demand explanations. Faith rests on promises. We live by promises, not by explanations. Faith does not demand explanations. Faith rests on promises. And so Abraham was resting on the promises of God, even though God had told him to take his son, to offer him as a burnt offering. Now you see him saying to the servants... We will come back after we have worshiped. Verse 6 So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. See, at this point, the faith of Abraham, think about yourself, put yourself in this situation at this moment. As you take those implements, as he took the fire, meaning he had a center or something to carry the coals so he could build the fire. He took a knife, which would be for the killing of the sacrifice, and he took the wood, and he laid it on the back of his son. Don't miss that detail. And the two of them went together. It has been pointed out that Abraham believed God and obeyed him when he did not know where, when he did not know when. When he did not know how, and when he did not know why. You see, something divine is happening in this moment. The Father takes the wood and he lays it upon the back of the Son. Does that sound like anyone you know from the New Testament? Does that sound like our Lord Jesus Christ? And the wood of the cross was laid on his back. Spurgeon said that knife was cutting into his own heart all the while, yet he took it. Unbelief would have left the knife at home, but genuine faith takes the knife. But Isaac spoke in verse 7 to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? So now the son speaks to the father. Where did Jesus speak to the father before he was offered up for our sins? The garden of Gethsemane, as he knelt there and he sweat great drops of blood. And what did he say to his father? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The complete submission of the son to the father. And in that, we have a picture here for Isaac. My father, he said, here I am, my son. Can you imagine this conversation? Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Here's the first mention in the Bible of a lamb. It's not just the first mention in the Bible, but it's the first mention in the Old Testament. But the answer is in the New Testament. The first mention in the New Testament of a lamb is in John's Gospel, chapter one, verse 29, where John said, the next day John the baptizer saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The question of the Old Testament is answered in the New Testament. And Abraham said, verse eight, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now this is the second time in these few short verses where we are told the two of them went together. This means that the two of them went in agreement. Both Abraham and Isaac did what they did knowingly and willingly. Isaac knew at that moment that he was involved in this. And you know, this is something not to be missed. This is the Father and the Son cooperating together in this instance. And of course, the Father and the Son cooperated together there on Mount Calvary. But as we take this and we apply it to ourselves and the body of Christ, there's this issue of of people walking together. You know, I read at the beginning of our worship today of coming together in one accord of one heart of one mind you know the book of Amos chapter 3 verse 3 says can two walk together unless they are agreed as I read to you in uh, the book of Acts these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication you see the Lord wants his people to walk in agreement why because the son and the father walk in agreement And so we must walk in agreement, we must learn to be of one accord. Does that mean we agree on every point of everything in the world? Of course not. But it does mean when it comes to matters of faith, when it comes to our faith in Christ and how we carry out our faith and what the Word of God has to say to us and how we worship and all of those things, we must be in agreement. There can be no unity without agreement. While we talk much of Abraham's faith, we must also stop and acknowledge Isaac's faith. Some Jewish commentators think that Isaac was in his 30s at the time of this event, the younger man, Um, so Josephus thinks, possibly 30 years of age. So if they manifest the type of Christ who was about that age when he came to die, this points to our Lord as he was also about the same age when he came to the time of the cross. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find this commentary on this very passage. Hebrews 11:17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called." concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. You see, God gave the command to Abraham, and he spoke privately to Abraham's heart. And then Abraham got up that morning and did the things he did to prepare. And then they began to make that journey. It says, and three days later, they arrived at Mount Moriah, which we know as Mount Calvary. Do you understand in this that the type is that for three days, if you will, the son was dead to the father. Abraham knew what God had commanded him to do, to go and to sacrifice his son and to offer him as a burnt offering. I would imagine that that three-day trip was eerily quiet from Abraham's perspective because of the grieving that was in his heart of knowing what God had told him to do, yet he willingly went and obeyed, but as he went to obey, he went with grief, knowing what it was going to cost him. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar. Thank God for Abraham and his altars. And there he placed the wood in order, so that means he arranged it so that it would burn. And it would burn in the right way. Now, you know, if you've ever built a fire camping or something like that, or you have a fire pit in your backyard, you can't just throw the wood in the pile and throw a match on it. You have to arrange it so that it will burn. So, Abraham goes through this process. Isaac is there watching. Abraham builds the altar, Abraham arranges the wood in the order. And then he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar upon the wood. What must that have been like for Isaac as he stood by and as he watched how his father orchestrated the events that would mean his demise and as the father bound him and laid him down on the altar, we know that he willingly laid down. I don't know about you if you've ever seen that movie, The Passion of the Christ, But if you have, then you know in the scene for the crucifixion that the director had the person playing Christ as he laid down on that cross and they were going to nail him. There was this scene where you see him stretching out his arm. And he willingly laid his arm out and stretched it to the right place so that they could just drive the nail through his wrist. I love that portrayal and I very much believe that could accurately portray the way our Lord went to the cross. But here we have the picture of Isaac and we see nothing of a struggle. We see no words. We see nothing but obedience. And he's laid down upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, verse 10, and took his knife to slay his son. I cannot imagine the anguish of soul that this father, Abraham, must have felt in that moment as he picked up the knife and raised it over his head to plunge it into the body of his son and to obediently carry out something he did not understand, but he knew that God had clearly spoken about. And remember, Abraham said, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, for Abraham, this was a moment of worship. Something that cost him everything was a moment of worship. You see, a true worshiper of God holds nothing back from God. We cannot come to God on our own terms. We cannot come to God and say, Lord, I'll come if, I'll I'll go if. And make up our set of variables or our set of actions, our set of rules around how we will and will not worship God. No, we must come to God in the way he demands that we come to worship. And we need to come open-handed with everything. Willing to worship him however he wants to be worshipped. Abraham knew anything was possible, but it was impossible that God would break his promise. He knew God was not a liar to this point in biblical history. We have no record of anyone being raised from the dead. So Abraham had no precedent for this aspect of his faith apart from God's promise. Yet Abraham knew God was able, that God could do it. Donald Gray Barnhouse, he is such an amazing person. He wrote, often there are believers who wonder how they may know the will of God. We believe that 90% of the knowing of the will of God consists in willingness to do it before it is known. You see, so often when we pray about the will of God, when we ask God to reveal his will to us about whatever it is in our life that we want to know, usually, I'm speaking for myself, I'm sure nobody else is like this, so you know how messed up I am. I pray wanting to know so I can figure out if I want to do it. I pray wanting to know the plan so I can decide for myself if I want to follow what God is telling me to do. And you see, God wants us to know that all of these people who have gone before us in the scriptures, Abraham is but one, and and we've already read of others. There's many more to come. That we must be willing before he speaks. When we, like Jesus, kneel before the Lord and say, Father, not my will, but your will be done, do we mean it? Is our faith built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? Is our faith built upon the word of God? Is our faith built upon the character and the nature of God? Are we willing, before he speaks, to do what he says, to listen to what he says, to be obedient without debate, without question, without going to other people and saying, hey, you know, I think God spoke to me. What do you think? And seeking counsel. You know, if God speaks then we need to be really willing to obey. Child of God, son, daughter, sojourner, pilgrim, what issues and questions of knowledge and wisdom and revelation do you have laying upon your prayer altar this morning? Regardless of the answer that God might give, are you willing, no matter what he might say, to do it? But the angel of the Lord, verse 11, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So again, he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Again, I ask you, what is it in your life that you are holding back from God, that you are unwilling to lay on the altar before God? Is it a person? Is it a thing? Is it a sin? Is it? Listen, we we live in a world, and nothing's different about today's world than the world back then, but sometimes we hold on to our own opinions as idols. God wants us to read his word and let his word inform our opinions. How we think, how we act, what we think. Do not lay your hand on the ladder, do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. What test might God bring into my life or your life to prove that we truly fear him? And he says, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, I cannot imagine a greater test than that which the Lord applied to Abraham. The Jews usually say that Abraham was tried 10 times. Surely on this occasion, he was tried 10 times in one. James said, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. That's James chapter 2. You see, a true worshiper of God holds nothing back from God. Again, we cannot worship God on our own terms and in our own way. We must worship God in his way and we must give all. You may remember when David, King David, came to the threshing floor of Aruna. And he wanted to worship, he wanted to make a sacrifice. And so he asked this man, Aruna, can I purchase your threshing floor? And he said, No, no, just take it. You're the king, you can take it. Then the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. You see, worship costs us something. Worship must cost us something. You know what it costs us? It costs us our pride. It costs us our our opinions, it costs us what we think. You know, sometimes we can be so convinced that we're right about something, and God wants to show us there's another way, there's another view. John wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but the hour is coming... And now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, when does the Lord provide for our needs? In the place of his assignment. Abraham was at the right place so that God could meet his needs. We have no right to expect the provision of God if we are not walking in the will of God. When does God meet our needs? Just when we have the need and not a minute before. You see, God is rarely early, but he is never late. How does God provide for us? He provides in ways that are usually quite natural. All Abraham needed at this moment was one animal. He didn't need a whole flock. And God provided in that moment the one animal that he needed. To whom does God give his provision? To those who trust in him and obey his instructions. When we are doing the will of God, we have the right to expect the provision of God. When God's work is done in God's way, it will not lack God's support. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. You can hear a sigh of relief around the globe in this moment as Abraham saw that ram and he somehow believed in his heart and his mind that God would provide And God did provide. I imagine he must have leapt for joy and and his heart must have just released the burden that it was carrying. And in this moment, as he saw that ram caught in the thicket and he went and he got it and took it and offered it up as a burnt offering, I want you to notice something here. There was the life of the innocent ram for the life of the son. And in this is a picture of what we call substitutionary atonement. It's the life of one for another, the life of the innocent for the guilty. You see, that's what Jesus did for you and me. Remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the Lamb of God, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans chapter 3, a similar thing, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What about Galatians 2.20, often people's favorite verse? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Listen, who loved me and gave himself for me. In that moment, as Abraham took that ram and offered him in the place of his son, we have a picture of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And Abraham, verse 14, called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Other translations say, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. The Lord will provide. This is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. When God asked Abraham for the ultimate demonstration of love and commitment, he asked for Abraham's son. When God the Father wanted to show us the ultimate demonstration of his love and commitment to us, he gave us his son. We can say to the Lord, Now I know that you love me, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Did you catch that? We can say to the Lord... Now I know that you love me God seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me Isaac's life as a type as a picture of Jesus becomes any clearer when we under, even clearer when we understand both were loved by their father both offered themselves willingly both carried the wood up the hill of their sacrifice both were sacrificed on the same hill mount moriah which is golgotha which is mount calvary and both were delivered from death on the third day verse 15 then the angel of the lord called to abraham a second time out of heaven and notice here it says the angel of the lord this is the lord jesus christ intervening in a divine moment that was foreshadowing him and who he would be some 1,500 years later, a Christophany, a theophany, he was uniquely present in this moment as he watched from his venue in heaven as Abraham the father carried out this divine act with his son that would forever picture the unique and divine love that God has for his children through his son. How was Jesus present then and how is he present now in our times of greatest need? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And he said, verse 16, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. Now by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. God acknowledging For now the third time, as he refers to Isaac as Abraham's only son. And he says, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. God is now confirming again, yet again, yet again to Abraham, his promise of what he would do in and through him and now his son, Isaac, Verse 18, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Did you catch that? Because of one man's obedience, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Listen, don't underestimate the power of of your obedience before the Lord in the the private place, in the quiet place. God will take your obedience on your knees in your prayer closet and use it to bless other people. Our obedience is sacred to God. Our obedience is important to God. Bowing in humility before God and And saying, yes, Lord, and not my will, but thy will, and obeying the Lord, and not questioning and doing and following him and honoring him in every way, not not just in the ways people can see, but in the ways people can't see. You see, God is faithful, and he will take our obedience and use it for his glory. Contrast that with the fact that in times of testing, it's easy to only think about our needs and our burdens Instead, we should be thinking about and focusing on bringing glory to Jesus Christ. We find ourselves asking, how can I get out of this? Instead, we ought to be saying, what can I get out of this that will honor the Lord? We sometimes waste our sufferings by neglecting or ignoring opportunities to reveal Jesus to others who are watching us go through the furnace. And we don't wanna waste those opportunities. See, God can and will use our obedience for our good and for his glory. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now, interestingly, we don't see Isaac again until he goes to get his bride, Rebekah. Isn't it interesting? that after the crucifixion of Jesus, we won't see Jesus again until when? When he comes for his bride, the rapture of the church. As we close out here, these last few verses, it speaks to us of the family of Nahor. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying indeed Milcah also has born children to your brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Chemuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight, Milcah, bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Notice Rebekah. She will come back to us later in the form of Isaac's bride. And then verse 24, his concubine, whose name was Re- Re- Reuma, also bore Teba, Gaim, Thahash, and Makah. So as we consider these things this morning, as we come to the close of this passage, let me ask you the question, how real is your faith? Do you trust God in this way? Do you trust God as Abraham trusted God? Are you willing before God speaks, before he reveals something to you, through his word, or maybe even privately for your own life, are you willing to say, yes, Lord, here am I? Whatever he says, are you willing? Because if not, then don't expect that God will speak. See, God's looking for a willing servant. It's been said so often, God's not looking for our ability. He's looking for our availability. Are you available to the Lord? Are you willing, like Abraham and Isaac, to do what he says when he says it? I hope so. I hope this morning that if you do not know the Lord, if you've never given your life to him, that this morning, as I assume he's speaking to your heart to come to him, To know this kind of love, this kind of sacrificial love that reaches out to people and says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That the Lord is calling to you this morning and asking you to come to himself. And for those of you this morning who perhaps are just walking with struggles and burdens, lay them down at the Savior's feet. Allow them to be judged by the cross And simply stop striving, as it says in Psalm 46, cease striving and know that I am God and relax in the freedom and the fullness that he offers to you this morning. By faith, accept the promises of God, walk in the promises of God, be obedient to the promises of God. Lord, we love you this morning, we bless you, and as we come to this time of closing and singing a song, Lord, we worship you, we worship you in spirit and in truth. And we look forward to the time when we meet you, Lord, face to face. And when all things are judged and all those things that we needed to hear from you on, they'll be fully known. Lord, in the meantime, we pray that you might speak to us now. And that our hearts would be willing to receive all that you have for us. That we would be ready and willing to say, yes, Lord, even before you speak. Thank you for this amazing and wonderful story. Thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for ministering to us. May we walk in your goodness and in your grace. May we walk in the knowledge of the glory of God revealed in the face of Christ. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We humble ourselves before you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.